I'd like us to open our Bibles back again to the first Thessalonian letter, and I'd like to uh, deal with uh, at least part of the second chapter this evening with you. It's good to see you here tonight. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and to study together uh, the wonderful pattern that we see in the writings of the New Testament Scripture. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is writing to this young church at Thessalonica that we were introduced to from Acts chapter 17 in the labors of, of Paul and his companions. And, and we see how God opened a great door of utterance uh, to the Apostle Paul. He, he opened the hearts of these people in the same way that he does today because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit there would be no reception of the gospel there would be no understanding of the things of God no embracing of what we know to be truth and I want you to understand something with me tonight truth matters it matters what we believe about God it matters what we believe about Jesus Christ. And tonight we want to unlock or unfold some of the things that are on the heart of the Apostle Paul as he writes this love letter to this young church that's on his heart and, and in his mind and in his prayers. We want to go down to verse 13 with you tonight. Um, so we're going to read this first and then come back for comment. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God, which with much contention. Now, I want you to underline that little expression, the gospel of God. That's the title of our study tonight. What is the gospel of God? Is there more than one? I believe that there is one. And he says, we were bold to speak to you the gospel of God with much contention for our exhortation was not of deceit nor of uncleanness nor in guile but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God which trieth our hearts for neither at any time used we flattering words as ye know nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. Notice 
the second reference, the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the third time, gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory for this cause. Also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And all the people said, Amen. This is a powerful paragraph in the letter that Paul has written and how it must have moved the early church, how, how it must have uh, been so uh, precious to the ears of the congregation in Thessalonica because they knew the truth of what Paul was speaking. Now, back up and understand something with me. Remember that the Apostle Paul faced a lot of opposition. Everywhere he went, there was opposition, not only from the Jewish elite, the religious Jews that opposed the teachings of Christianity, but also from the Gentiles, inasmuch as, remember, they were pagan and in the strictest sense of the word. They were polytheistic. They had many gods. You know, uh, they were Greeks. They were in love with um, knowledge. They were in love with science. They were in love with culture. Um, they were uh, a pre-modern, post-modern American. We can relate to that. And, and in that context the teaching of Jesus Christ would be very um, opposing. It would be very confrontive. It, it, would, it would require a great deal of courage for someone like the Apostle Paul to go into that kind of a cultural background and preach the very conservative, monotheistic teaching of God in that kind of a culture. So you can imagine, there, there was all, always a great opposition to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. And we find some of that in Acts chapter 17. That's why he had to leave so quickly, because they were out to hang him. So the Apostle Paul is facing that opposition there, but he's received word that there were those that came into the early church that would question his authority. Who is this Paul anyway? Who does he think he is? 
Do you think that he's the only one that has divine revelation? You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, a little bit of the attitude of Aaron and Miriam. When they contested the authority of Moses on one occasion, they said, Hey, you know, we're, we're of the same bloodline as you are. We've uh, been exposed to the same things as you have. Um, you know, we need a little respect here. And the Bible says God heard it. And he smote Miriam with leprosy. You remember the story. Well, it reminds me of that kind of an attitude. So the Apostle Paul is going to give a brief defense of his ministry. And to speak to them concerning the authority that he didn't fabricate himself, but the authority that God gave him. And he was not there to preach the gospel of Paul. He was there to preach the gospel of God. He was there to tell the good news that came from God to them. That God had sent His only begotten Son into the world and through Him to bring about redemption, to bring about salvation, to bring about um, a basis of acceptance with the Holy God. That's good news. But it's the good news of God, not of Paul. Tonight, I'm not here to, or nor any of our ministers are ever coming to this sacred desk to preach our own gospel. You don't need that. In fact, you don't want that. What you're here for is the gospel of God. God's word to you. So the Apostle Paul is going to define his ministry. He's going to set before us a wonderful example uh, even even in our day, a wonderful example of ministry, not only of the elders of the church, but also of the church itself. For yourselves, brethren, he loves, he loves to use the word brethren. It, it, would you believe me if I told you he uses this word 26 times in this epistle? He, he loves that, that term, brethren. For yourselves, brethren know our entrance into you that it was not in vain. He said, you know, there, there are times in the life of ministry, in the life of a church, that we feel like we're just going through the motions. It just seems like what we're doing is in vain. It's empty. It's, it's devoid of any lasting value. But the Apostle Paul said, you know, when I consider the church at Thessalonica, I understand that it was not in vain. It was, it was not vain that God sent me to you and that God used me as a vessel through which he would empty his truth into your soul. It's not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. Now, the background of this is Acts chapter 16. Most of us remember the story how that they incarcerated the Apostle Paul and Silas and beat them. Remember that? Put them in jail, these rabble-rousers, and make them suffer. And boy, they did them dirty. But then we read where at midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing songs of praise to the Lord. Can you imagine? And uh, the Lord heard it. 
And there was a whole lot of shaking going on. Those chains shook off. That the the doors of the prison opened and and uh, woke up that sleepy jailer. And he thought his life was done. Took out his own sword to take his life. And Paul saw what was happening. And said, "Brother, don't don't do that. Don't harm yourself." Now here's the one that beat him just a few hours before. Now, if the Apostle Paul was like some of us, we'd say, yeah, you go ahead. You deserve it. Go ahead. Run yourself through. But not Paul. Because the Apostle Paul was not there as an emissary of Paul. He was there as a representative of Christ. And Christ says, don't hurt yourself. Don't you do that. Here comes that trembling jailer to Paul. And he has the singular question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now there's some people that play that down. There's some people that believe that what Paul should have said was, Don't worry about it, brother. Just because you're asking that kind of a question means that you've got eternal life already. Go ahead and go back and live like a pagan. I'm telling you that's heresy. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, on the authority of the word of God, the gospel itself, under the divine influence of the Holy Spirit, is given to us to transform us, to change our way of thinking, to change our way of living, to change our view of God himself. And the Apostle Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Isn't that a wonderful message? Isn't it wonderful to think about? Believing, trusting. Trusting not in my own merit, not in my own goodness, not on my own works, but trusting in this perfect Savior, and through him having a perfect salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And you know the glory of it is. He did. He believed. And he was baptized. Who is it that we should baptize? The believer. Every time in the New Testament you read about the baptism. You're reading about someone who has confessed Christ. And following after him. So we find that pattern, don't we? That's what this study is all about. It's a pattern. This is what we want to identify with. This is true primitive Christianity. And when I say primitive, I mean adjective. A description of what it meant to be in the original Baptist church. Following Christ. Well, here... He goes on, he says, you know all about it. You know how bad I was treated over at Philippi. But did that influence Paul when he came to Thessalonica? Did he kind of cow down a little bit? Well, can you hear Silas saying, uh, you know, Paul, we might ought to moderate our teaching just a little bit. We might make a, need to make a few adjustments here so we won't have so much trouble over here in Thessalonica. No. 
There wasn't any of that discussion going on. We were bold. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. In other words, with much um, uh, agony, agonizo, uh, with much um, uh, struggle, uh, with much uh, uh, defiance, with much opposition. Didn't matter. The Apostle Paul was going to be bold in his testimony concerning the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. I'll develop that in just a little bit more in just a minute. In verse 3, he says, For our exhortation was not three things here. I want you to notice these three, these three things are marks of Paul's ministry throughout his life. And I dare say it, it, it's the true mark of evangelism today. It has to fit into this uh, mold, if you will. He says, for our exhortation, our doctrine, our teaching was not with deceit. It, in other words, it was without error. It was without deception. Nor uncleanliness. It was, out, it was without uh, um, any type of manipulation to get gain. And it wasn't with guile or, or hypocrisy. But as we were allowed of God, I, I love this. This verse has been my meditation all this all today. My mind kept going right back to this this one verse. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust, brothers and sisters, it's a sacred trust. That's why it's a serious thing when we violate that trust. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, the word allowed there comes from a Greek word that means to be approved. He is defending his divine appointment, his integrity, as it were, his motives for preaching in the first place. He's, de he's defending that. Not as pleasing men, but God which tries the heart. You know, it's an easy trap to fall into, you know, to please men. Uh, but it's a trap you better avoid. You know, that's, that's, why, uh, that's, that's why we have to pay attention to the scriptural pattern. If we're going to claim that we use the word of God, the, the scriptures as our only rule of faith and practice, we better mean it. We, we better mean what we say. And we better walk in a way that we prove that to not only ourselves but to others. I just, I, I, I don't think God has called us to be a men-pleasing church. And I don't think he's called us to preach a men-pleasing gospel. What we call today woke let me tell you something, friends. If you've come tonight to hear a woke gospel, you came to the wrong place. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. We can't afford that. We can't afford to modify or mollify the true gospel 
just to accommodate modern understanding of uh, social issues. We have to stick with the word. That's what Paul did. He stuck with the word. He says we're here to please God because God's the one that tries the heart. For neither at any time used we flattering words. You know what flattering words mean? Flattering words are words that are designed to trip you. They're a snare. It, it, it's, it's saying something that you really don't mean. We didn't do that. Paul says we didn't do that. We didn't use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. That, that compound word there is, is actually two words. It means to have more. In other words, the only reason I'm preaching the gospel is so I can have more. So I can get more. Gain more. <laughs> A cloak of covetousness. And God is witness. Let me tell you something, friends. I can fool you, and you can fool me, but none of us are going to fool God. God is our witness. He knows what's going on in our thought process. He knows why we're doing what we're doing, even when sometimes we don't know. And I like this. There's three points I want you to note. The Apostle Paul is defending his calling, his character, and his conduct. And those are the three things that will identify a true minister of the gospel. Never forget that. In verse 6, he says, nor of men. <laughs> Boy, he, he's laying us wide open here. <laughs> nor of men sought we glory. Hmm. Neither of you. See, they're witnesses. They understand what Paul is writing because they were witnesses of his ministry among them. He's not telling them something that they had not already observed. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. Yeah, but I want to be accepted by everybody. Well, if you listen, if you're, if you're preaching or standing for the truth, you're not going to be uh, accepted by everybody. When we might have been burdensome... I, I think about this. Paul says we might have been burdensome because we had a right to be. As apostles of Christ. Now I want you to understand what he's saying. He, he, he's saying I am just as much worthy of support financially as Peter, as John, as Thomas as any other apostle, because I am an apostle. But the apostle Paul, he, he, he had another burden. He, it, it's, it's just like evangelism that we do uh, today. You know, we don't, we don't go to Africa and say, okay, uh, <clears throat> let's take a collection, brethren. Of course, what we'd probably get is chickens and hogs and stuff. like. But uh, um, 
you know, we, we don't go to the Philippines and say, how much are you going to pay me before I preach to you folks? We wouldn't dare do that. Well, the Apostle Paul set that pattern in front of us. He says, you know, there's a time when it's not right for ministers to accept anything from the people that they're preaching to. But I want you to understand, he's not talking about an established church that is uh, called to be supportive of their ministry in order for their ministry to be able to serve them, to study, and to do the things that the church would require. This is a young church. They're just starting out. And he's saying, you know, I didn't charge you a dime. I did. In fact, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to confess something to you right now. There have been many times I have come to this place willing to pay you to let me preach. You see, it truly is a calling. It's a fire shut up in the bones. And if you can't do it, it'll eat you alive. Well, Paul, tell me about it. He says, uh, I'll tell you, I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle. I have unique authority as one of the 12. Now, somebody's going to come up with this. If they study the Bible, they're going to say, you know, uh, Timothy and Silas are also called apostles, Brother Jeff. Well, they were. But they were in a secondary sense. They were secondary. They, they were not the ones that God used to write the scriptures. They, they weren't uh, among the primary apostles. Uh, the primary apostles were blessed by God to give us the New Testament scripture. The word apostle literally means sent with authority. But the apostle Paul was a primary apostle. Uh, that's why we, you know, he, he's responsible for 14 of the letters in the New Testament. He's a primary apostle. Um, and, and, and Silas and Timothy were secondary. And, and, you know, when we are blessed to go to a foreign country, I always like the practice of the church gathering around the servants to, that go uh, and empowering them, uh, giving them their blessing. And I believe we're blessing them as a third category of apostle. They're sent. They're sent by the church, and, and, and the church has a responsibility to support them in it. And the church has a responsibility to pray for their success. Now, the apostle Paul, and by the way, you're going to find out in this study in in First and Second Thessalonians, that the church at Thessalonica did just that. They supported the evangelistic work of Paul, but they also prayed for Paul to be successful. What a great pattern, model. Paul says in verse 7, this is a, a gentle verse here, he says, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse it cherishes her children. Here's a nursing mother cherishing her uh, beloved child. A mother's, uh, a, a mother's love 
like that of Moses in uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse uh, 12. And the Apostle Paul loves to use that imagery of a, a caring, nursing mother in 2 Corinthians 12, 14 and Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. This is a beautiful picture, isn't it? I, I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, we were blessed with four children and, and it, was a, it, it was a blessing to my soul to see my wife nursing our children. There's just something special about that. That tenderness, that love, that uh, kindness, that gentleness. The Apostle Paul said, you know, that's the way I was with you. The, you know, he's not a dictator cracking a whip over their head and holding them off with a chair. That's, that's not New Testament ministry. The Apostle Paul says it's gentle, it's uh, nourishing, it's tender. So being affectionately desirous of you, showing that love that he has for them, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but our own souls also, because you were so dear unto us. Oh, I'm telling you, that's the truth. That's another mark of a true minister. Another mark. That love has to be there. You can't tell me you love the Lord and then don't love the brethren. I, I love the One fellow says, uh, well, I, I don't have a problem loving the Lord. It's, it's his people I just don't care about. Well, you, you've got the wrong attitude. That's not the Christian attitude. And it's certainly not the the minister's attitude. The Apostle Paul's our example, and he says, man, when I came among you, I came as a loving, nurturing mother, and I came to the point, my love was so extreme toward you that I would even give my own life in exchange for you. You know, the tragedy in Nashville we've all been mourning over, just can't imagine what those parents are going through, those... Nine-year-old children, all three of them were nine years old. All, and the pastor of the church, one of his daughters, was one of the ones killed. I, I, I'm telling you, that grieves me to no end. To think about how I would feel if that was my child. But you know what they found out? They found out that that pastor's daughter ran and pulled the, the uh, fire alarm and that locked down the other doors of, of the classrooms. You know, the Apostle Paul had that kind of attitude. I'd rather take a bullet. I, I'd, I'd rather die or be harmed than to see you harmed. That, that's the Christian attitude. And Paul is a tremendous example of that, isn't he? He says, I, not just to get to preach to you, but to get to serve you, just to, to get to labor among you, to walk beside you. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, verse 9, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable to any of you, 
we preached unto you the gospel of God, and I'm going to put my own parenthesis here, freely, without charge. We preached the gospel of God freely. Now, I want to, I want to embellish that expression just a little bit for a few minutes. What is the gospel of God? You know, Paul used that uh, terminology in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, when he said he was called as an apostle to preach the gospel of God. It's God's gospel. It's the revelation of God's saving work through his son, Jesus Christ. Bro beloved brethren, I, I believe that we can redefine elements of gospel truth to the extent that we paint ourselves in a corner. We paint ourselves into a theological corner and we say things like this. We're the only ones that preach the true gospel. We're the only ones that know the whole truth of the whole gospel. And I believe that that's what leads us to Phariseeism. That, that leads us to an elitist category. I, I want to return to the simple fact of the scripture because I believe I understand tonight what Paul's talking about when he's talking about the gospel of God. I want to illustrate that. Go with me very quickly to 1 Corinthians 15. We have to be careful of Phariseeism. Uh, and I'm speaking... Ten times to myself more than anybody else in this auditorium. I believe that this is the gospel of God that he's talking about. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking to the church of Corinth and he says, uh, Moreover, brethren, oh, and by the way, remember, he went to Corinth right after he went to um, Athens, right after he went to Thessalonica. Remember, we're right in that time frame. Okay, he went to Thessalonica, then Berea, then Athens, and from Athens he went to Corinth. So we're right here in the early ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul's writing this letter, and he's going to tell them what the gospel of God is. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. Which also ye received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, here's the gospel of God. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Point number one. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Point number two. How that he was buried Point number three, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I See how simple that is? It, it takes a lot of work to complicate that, brothers and sisters. But that's what we've done. And what we've done inadvertently is alienate Christian people that don't believe predestination like we do. That might not understand unconditional election to the extent that we do. And, and brothers and sisters, I'm not apologizing for those true elements of the Scripture. I, I, I rejoice in those. And I want everybody to see the truth of that. 
But just because somebody tells me they don't believe in unconditional election does not mean that they're not a Christian. Does not mean that they're not following Christ. They just haven't seen that yet. And we have to treat them like brothers and sisters in Christ and not enemies. And that's the way I was raised. I'm telling you. The Apostle Paul came to them preaching the simple gospel of God. How that God sent his son into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How that Jesus went to the cross and took my sins in his body upon the cross and was laid in a tomb for three days and nights and rose again for our justification. And then after a period of time ascended up into glory and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high with the promise that he's coming again. It, to me that's so simple and it's so beautiful. Now, brothers and sisters, I rejoice in the doctrines of grace. I've spent my whole life studying the doctrines, the deeper doctrines that are connected to the gospel. But just because my brother and sister hasn't been able to do that doesn't mean that they're not real Christians and that they're not accepted by God. That's my point tonight. I don't believe that everybody in the Primitive Baptist Church understands this, to the same degree all of those wonderful doctrines. I guess what I'm, I'm fighting in my own life is I don't want to be a Pharisee. I just don't. I, 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 don't, I, I don't want to be a better than thou type of Christian. And we got to watch out for that. Paul wasn't that way. He said, I came among you. Do you think you knew more about the gospel than Paul? I don't think so. I, don't, I know I don't. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. The Apostle Paul preached the simple doctrine of God. He, 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 he kept things simple. For the people of God. And, and I, I hope I can follow that example. In my own life. Listen carefully. Verse 10. I'm just about out of time. Ye are witnesses in God also. How holily and justly and unblameably. We behaved ourselves. Here's his conduct. Among you that believe. And ye know how. In other words Paul practiced what he preached. And ye know how. We exhorted. Now, that there, now, this is an important part of our study. This is what gospel preaching does. I, I tell you what, I'm so sick and tired of services that start at um, 1030 sharp and end at 12 noon dull. The Apostle Paul says, the true ministry should challenge us. The true ministry of you, you, you should always be able to leave the house of God with a nugget. Something you can put in your pocket and carry with you through the week. A challenge. Well, I didn't know that, but preacher, I'll tell you what. Before I believe it, I'm going to go home and study it and make sure that it's true. 
Now that's a good attitude to me. And, and a minister ought to welcome that. Not be offended by it. I want to exhort and, and listen to this. And comfort. That's what the gospel's for, friends. I, I, believe that, I, I believe that the true gospel of God brings comfort to the hearts of God's weary children. And charge you challenge you every one of you as a father doth his children listen he said i was like a mother over here now he says i'm like a father a father uh is in charge of the discipline a a, a father uh is a provider uh, for his children see he he's showing that relationship between ministry and the church body it's like a mother tender and it's like a father providing and protecting, verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God. Oh, we're getting into the meat of it now. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of God. How do I do that? Through obedience to the gospel. That's how we do it. That's why it's so important. People, I don't understand people that, that, that say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I, I don't understand that. How, how can you love Jesus and not love his bride? I, I don't understand how you can have that kind of a conflict that you would walk worthy of God. Who, who what? Who called you? Who called you unto his kingdom and his glory. See, it's not about us. Let me tell you something about the church. The church doesn't belong to Jeff Harris. The church doesn't belong to Nathan Pitney. The church doesn't belong to Brother Andy. It's not our church. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church, brothers and sisters. And it's His kingdom and it's His glory that we're seeking to walk in. And lastly, and I close, for this cause. Oh, this is beautiful to me for this cause. What cause? You, you became believers in the gospel of God. For this cause, you were comforted through the scriptures. For this cause, you're walking worthy. You're taking the name of Jesus wherever you go. For this cause, Paul says, I thank, thank God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, not as the word of Jeff or Nathan or Andy, but ye received it as in truth, the word of God, which effectually, listen to that word, effectually, effectually worketh also in you who? Everybody? No. That believe. Somebody says, oh, faith doesn't make much difference, does it? Yes, it does. Truth doesn't make much difference, does it? Yes, it does. Because these are the things that conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to say this in closing tonight. What makes the gospel of God effectual, and hear me, hear me clear, 
what makes the gospel of God effectual in the heart and lives of God's people is the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We can't preach without the Holy Spirit. Just like our song service tonight really ministered to me. I felt the Spirit in those words. The Spirit of God is essential. We can, we can, have, we can have worship services without lighting. We can have worship services without a building. We can have worship services without comfortable chairs. But we cannot have worship services without the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, you know what we are? We're debtors to the Spirit and grace of God. May the Lord bless these teachings to our hearts tonight. Thank you.